Okay, well, let's go ahead and get started. And uh, last week we began a new series, and we are in the book of Acts. And uh, kind of did a bit of an introduction last week uh, in Acts, talking about uh, the, the context for the book of Acts. And as we look at the book of Acts, it is a transitional book. And I was stressing that last week because uh, this is building a bridge between uh, the Gospels and uh, the Epistles. It is building a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if we didn't have the book of Acts, could you imagine going from uh, the book of John straight into Romans? You'd have a lot of questions, wouldn't you? You have at the end of John, Jesus ascends up into heaven. They're all celebrating and they're excited because uh, of the Great Commission and the promise of the Holy Spirit and all these things. And then you dive into Romans. It's like, whoa, how did we get here? Right? There's a church in Rome now. Who's Paul? What's he doing here? What's he talking about? I've got so many questions. Need answers. Right? But in Acts, we have that uh, that solved for us. And we have the details filled, filled in there. And I, I said it's a transitional book. And... Uh, uh, the reason I'm stressing that it's transitional is that there is a change that is happening from the beginning of uh, the beginning of the book to the end of the book, and God is bringing things, introducing things to His disciples, to His church, to this world slowly, and so things are being done a little bit differently at the beginning than they are being done at the end. And if we take some of the things that are happening in Acts and try to apply them to the current time. If we try to make them normal as if that's the way that things are supposed to be, we can get into all kinds of weird stuff and heresy and false doctrine because we find that God is doing some special things to open the door, to pave the way, to instruct, to guide, to build all these different things in the book of Acts that were just for that time period and not necessarily forever. And so some of the examples that I used last week is such as, the Holy Spirit not coming at salvation. Uh, there was times that the Holy Spirit came uh, whenever they were saved. There were times whenever uh, it was received later on by the laying of hands and uh, prayer. It was sometimes that it came and there was not really an outward sign that it came. And then there were sometimes that it came with speaking of tongues and things like that. And there was reasons for the differences that existed there. And we'll go over those as we go through this. But it doesn't mean that these are the things that we look for today. It was for that time period as God was bringing about something new as he was introducing it. Many of those things were evidences and were signs that God was doing something new and putting his stamp of approval on it and kind of pushing his disciples along so that they see the plan that he has, the direction that he's going in, so that they are prepared for what God uh, has in store for them. Okay? And uh, as we looked last week here, um, we got uh, got started out in the, the, the book here in good ways. But before we go any further, let's go ahead and uh, go to the Lord in prayer, ask his blessings, his guidance as we look into this, and uh, then we'll, we'll jump into our passage here. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And Lord, we do thank you for this day that you've given us. And Lord, we just pray, thank you so much for your word and Lord, for the the wisdom that's there, Lord, for the knowledge that we can gain from it, Lord, for the way that you've put it together to lead us to yourself and to guide us in our understanding of you, Lord. I just pray that you would uh, help us in the study of the book of Acts, Lord, to see how you uh, how you brought about the church, how you uh, brought Christianity around the globe. And Lord, I just pray that you would 
uh, just help us to be encouraged by it and instructed by it. Be with each person here that they would uh, glean from this service exactly that what they need. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with those who aren't able to be with us this morning for whatever reason. Be with the cares and the concerns on the hearts of each person. Lord, I know everyone's going through different things. Lord, I just pray that you'd work there and draw them to yourself. And Lord, just guide me as a, as a teacher, Lord, as a preacher, just as your mouthpiece. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, use me, that you'd give me clarity of mind and speech. Lord, we thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as I was saying here, we, we kind of got the introduction, the context of this last week. Luke is writing this. He's writing it to a man named Theophilus. And he is telling this man, more than likely he was a, uh, a Gentile uh, uh, leader of some sort. Uh, we see that he is known, or he is uh, greeted as most excellent Theophilus in the book of Luke. And that's a title that was generally given to someone that was of position. And so he is telling him uh, basically how this Christianity came into being. And so the book of Luke is telling about Jesus' ministry, and then the book of Acts is telling about uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the apostles as the church exploded onto uh, the world stage. And as we look through the book of Acts, we're going to see the church grow from its infancy up to where it is covering all the way out into Asia and throughout Europe. And it has went from becoming or being a mainly Jewish entity into being a uh, uh, worldwide, I guess you could say, an inter international inter uh, ethnicity, I guess. Not just the Jews, but to all the world. And all of that's going to happen throughout the book of Acts. And what we looked at here in Acts chapter one last week, we saw that uh, Jesus had. Uh, resurrected. He appeared to the disciples. He spent 40 days instructing them and teaching them. And then one day as they were going along uh, at the Mount of Olives, uh, he gave them the Great Commission once again to go into all the world. And then he started ascending up into heaven before their eyes. And uh, as they stood there with their mouths agape, looking up, the angel said, why are you standing here looking into heaven? The same Jesus who has ascended up will come in like manner. And so they were instructed to tarry, to wait at Jerusalem until they were endued with power, until the Holy Spirit came. And so their instructions was to wait, right? And so that gets us to where we're at today. And that's in, uh, let's see, let's go ahead and start reading in chapter 1, verse number 12. I know we read this last week, but we'll go ahead and read it again. It says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, Simon the son of Alphaeus, the, and Simon Zelotus, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number and names, the number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. 
Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in the in their proper tongue uh, Asadalma, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation uh, be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us uh, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness uh, with us of his resurrection. And they appointed to Joseph called Barsimus, excuse me, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, or thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that they may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And so what we see here uh, really could be considered one of the first church business meetings, right? Some would argue and say, well, the church didn't happen until in the next chapter. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, uh, as they are waiting in Jerusalem, uh, it says that they continue together with one accord in prayer. We pick up in the end of the other Gospels and such that they were going to uh, going out to the temple and they were going to the services and they were teaching and, and praising God and doing all these different things while they were waiting, but they were waiting at Jerusalem. And as they were in the upper room, they had spent a lot of time up there. Every time they were in Jerusalem, it seems like that's where they were. It says there was 120 of them. That's a bunch, right? And it seems that as they were there, uh, the elephant in the room, if you will, is the fact that there was an empty seat that Judas used to be there with them, and he no longer was. And while they were waiting, Peter got tired of waiting, right? And so Peter says, we've got to do something about this empty chair. There was always 12 of us, and now there's 11, so we must do something. And so they went about going through a sifting process, and they laid out actually some very good qualifications. They narrowed it down to two, and then they cast lots, which was uh, an accepted Old Testament way of discerning the Lord's will. And they cast lots, and they chose Matthias, and Matthias was named with them. He was one of the twelve. And so today what we're going to do, we're going to discuss a few things about, uh, about Judas and about this process of replacing him. Okay, And... Uh, as I said, I want to discuss this. I want to hear some of your all's opinions. I want to hear what you all have to say about it as well. But the first thing that I want to look at in all of this is uh, with Judas, he was with them. He was counted amongst them. He had part of the ministry, right? And so Judas was sent out. He was uh, one of the ones that went and preached. Uh, he went about teaching. He went about representing Jesus. He would have done miracles. He would have performed miracles. He would have uh, healed the sick. He would have uh, caused the blind to see. He would have done things like that. I fully believe that he did everything that the rest of them did because if he hadn't, right? If Judas didn't do the same things that the rest of them did, what would their response be? 
Something wrong with that guy, right? And so we have to assume that he was doing everything everybody else was doing, that he fit in perfectly so much that whenever they were in the upper room and Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me, they didn't point to Judas and say, I bet it's him. He's always been a little strange. Each one of them were asking, is it I? Mm -hmm. And I think that was a, a very good response on their behalf because we know from the Bible that our hearts are desperately wicked and who can know them, right? right. And so they had followed Jesus long enough to realize that it was very much possible. Mm -hmm. Now, I am surprised that Peter had that uh, idea because whenever uh, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, he says, oh, though all are... Oh, if, uh, everyone forsakes you. I'm not going to. I'll go with you all the way to death, right? Mm -hmm. But anyway, with all of this, no one suspected Judas. And so, for some reason, Judas heard everything that Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Thaddeus and Thomas and all the rest of them, I don't remember. Um, he heard everything that they heard. He saw everything that they saw. Right. He was around them. He experienced all of those things. He took part in the ministry, but yet he had a very different end to his story. Mm -hmm. And so the first question that I have is, what made Judas reject Jesus? Why did he turn away? <coughs> this is his opinion. There's not necessarily right and wrong answers. What? Greed. Greed. Okay. So with that, it was unmet expectations, right? I guess even with the greed, it was unmet expectations. He says, I'm going to be part of a kingdom. This is going to enrich me. I'm going to become wealthy by this. And then by the time that uh, he betrayed Jesus... He says, I'm not getting any richer. I'm getting poorer from this. So, hey, if I can get 30 pieces of silver, somewhere around three months worth of wages, if I can get 30 pieces of silver off of this, then I'll cut my losses and leave, right? Any other ideas? You're not expecting, like, uh, maybe following Jesus, then there's some sort of, uh, earthly benefits mm -hmm. from it and then will not see it because to my perceptions like yeah this this guy is coming with the kingdom mm -hmm. so him saying kingdom and they can you can see how the the kingdom we were run at the time and then I said man I need to grab this this opportunity mm -hmm. and at the end was like there's nothing here to follow in, so I I, I just need to do something to to get. Right. So the other way it would be like I don't know. I'm sorry to say that he was at wrong place mm -hmm. where he's supposed not to be, according to his heart. Yeah, his heart wasn't right. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so with with what you're saying, he, he had much the same expectations as the rest of the disciples, right? Uh, a couple of them came to Jesus and. I think it was their mother who said, Grant, that my one son sets on one hand and one sets on the other, right? Mm -hmm. They argued with each other who was going to be the greatest in his kingdom. And so all of them had that expectation starting off, right? Yeah. But 
He said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man had not where to lay his head. And so they went about rough sleeping, right? They were camping. They were in the wilderness. They were going from house to house. They had no certain dwelling place, right? Uh, they were giving a lot more than what they were getting. And so Judas is looking at this and he says, this isn't going the direction I thought it would go. He's listening to Jesus' teachings and Jesus is teaching about almost peace and pacifism whenever they're looking for someone that's going to raise up an army. Mm. Like this doesn't seem like a military leader. And another thing that uh, Jesus began talking about how he was going to die. And that caught a lot of them by surprise, right? Yeah. Peter himself even rebuked Jesus and said, oh, it's not so. And so whenever they've been following him for a couple of years now and they're not getting richer, he doesn't seem to be getting any closer to a kingdom. Um, and now he's talking about leaving the scene. They have so many unmet expectations, right? Yeah. And so Judas is saying, this just isn't working for me. And so all of his expectations were earthly, weren't they? And so you look at a lot of religion today, and draw a parallel, because as Peter was saying this, this is what came to my mind, is that there are a lot of people that are following Jesus because they think that it's going to make them prosperous. It's going to give them success in their jobs. It's going to cause them to uh, prosper in their bank accounts and in their relationships. And then whenever they begin following Jesus and they don't win the lottery, they don't get the promotion, their marriage still falls apart. They say, wait a second, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't the Jesus I thought that I was following. And they become discouraged and they quit, right? And so that's one of the dangers to the prosperity gospel. It produces a lot of Judases. And that sounds bad because of the connotation of Judas. But do you think that Judas started out following Jesus thinking, okay, I'm going to look for a way that I can betray him? No. At what point... If you if you had to guess, okay, mm. at what point was the tipping point? Any idea? Where do you think it was that Judas threw in the towel and says, "Okay, I'm done"? I don't think there was a specific point. I think it was gradual. Okay. Little by little, it would be hard to put your finger on just a specific point, wouldn't it? And so it's funny how those things sneak in, right? Maybe bitterness and resentment whenever his unfulfilled expectations and different things aren't met, that gradually he is growing more distant from the Lord. He's less interested in Jesus as he's teaching. He says, well, here he goes again talking about peace. When are we going to get to the part about kingdoms and victories, right? little disappointments and he becomes a little bit harder toward the Lord and before he knows it. I don't I don't know that he necessarily had plotted out and planned, okay, I'm going to go to the religious leaders. I don't know that he even set out to do that from the beginning. Uh, I think that one day he found himself there. Yeah. That the opportunity presented itself. Uh, maybe he happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time around some of the religious leaders, and I'm, I'm hypothesizing, I'm theorizing here. But somehow he got around the wrong guys, 
and he had an opportunity, right? Maybe the religious leaders put the feeler out there hoping that one of his followers, someone on the inside somewhere, would be willing to make a quick buck. And so somewhere along the lines, he gained a little bit of information that, hey, I can profit off of this in some way. But before he knew it, he found himself before the religious leaders. He made a deal with them. He obtained the silver. He led them out. And Jesus greets him by calling him his friend. He betrays Jesus with a kiss. And Jesus, true to his nature, his character, treats Judas, knowing that he's a betrayer, knowing what's going on, treats him the same way that he always had. And then after Judas leaves that, he's got the money in his pocket. He should be happy. He got what he wanted. But he's not happy, is he? It went a lot further than he thought it was going to go. Maybe he was thinking, I'll betray him. They'll take him in. Maybe they'll put him in prison for a while. Maybe they're going to uh, threaten him greatly. Maybe they'll, uh, maybe they'll scourge him or something and let him go. But he probably wasn't expecting for it to end in the cross. And so things escalated out of hand whenever he started this direction. And so with what you said there, I, I think you're right that there's not a point. in church, you know, sport preacher, everything. Mm-hmm. And then they're missing a little bit here, missing a little bit there. And then I know one specifically that ended up in jail. And he's <laughs> like, how in the world did I get this far? And he brought it back to one little thing the pastor said during a church sermon that he didn't get taken care of then, that he knew it was his fault. And it just grew and grew and grew. Mm-hmm. And then he just woke up one day. And I think that that is possibly what happened to Judas. But I think in the end, possibly he, instead of going back and getting things right, he was so embarrassed at how far he went. Mm-hmm. The guilt and the shame overtook him. In. Well, not only that, but everybody <coughs> knew he had been with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so then that brings the question, he has now failed miserably, right? And is there a return from failure? And we know from the Bible there is, right? That Jesus is always willing to forgive. Even the thief on the cross, even the Roman soldiers, uh, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Peter, he went out searching for him. He went through a path of restoration for him. Uh, He told about leaving the 90 and 9 to find the one that was lost. And so we know that even Judas had a way of salvation that Jesus would have forgiven him even after such a betrayal, right? right? Because in reality, was there much difference between Judas's betrayal and Peter's? That's a good question. Was, was there much difference though? Peter said, I don't know the guy. I mean, he's in eyesight of Jesus while Jesus is in one of the hardest positions. He is getting ready to be tried and punished and executed. And whenever he's in his lowest position, Peter says, I don't even know the guy. That might have been worse than what Judas did, right? Yes. Now we, we accuse Judas and say, well, his ended up in Jesus' death. But if 
If it wasn't Judas, they would have still came and got him some way, right? Mm -hmm. But Peter was restored, and Judas went out and hung himself. And so there is a road back from that guilt and that shame, but we know that we have an adversary, we have an enemy that is going to guilt us, who's going to tell us that you've messed up too much, You've went too far. Jesus doesn't love you. He's not going to forgive you for that. There's no way he can accept you back. What are the others going to say? Because could you imagine Judas thinking about facing the other 11 after what he had done? The last time he had seen the 11 was whenever he came and brought the, the temple guards to take Jesus in. And he can't just come back and say, hey, guys, it's me. I messed up. You forgive me? And so there is a return from that, but Judas didn't take that. He went the other way. He listened to the lies of the enemy. And so this ended up being a slippery slope for him. And one of the reasons why I believe that he took his own life is because he found himself in over his head. Okay? What I mean by that is it snuck up on him. He didn't realize how far from the Lord that he had gotten. He didn't realize how far he had stumbled. He didn't realize the the extent of the mistakes that he had made. And then it it just hit him like a, a Mack truck. I, I don't know. They don't have those here. But I mean, it just, it hit him. It hit him so hard that, hold on, look at what happened. Look at the results of what I have done. And so out of his grief and his shame, he went out and hung himself. And it, here it gives us more information uh, in the Gospels, it says that he hung himself. Here it says that he uh, basically fell over a cliff and burst asunder. His bowels gushed out. Yeah, that was graphic, right? Yeah. And so tradition tells us that he hung himself. The rope broke maybe after he'd been there for a while. And uh, the decay process had already taken in. And he fell and his body burst open. And but with Judas, though, I mean, I think it is different, though. Okay, I think it's not he. Uh, it was like premeditated almost. Okay, you know what I mean. Because I mean, they were in the upper room. And Jesus said, "What do you do?" Mm-hmm. And you had a choice right there. Yeah. And he walked out, and he went and did whatever he was going to do in any mm-hmm. case. Yeah. Where Peter, I think at that moment, he he had the best of intentions, but the pressure got to him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a good so point. I don't yeah. think he he. He premeditated that, you know, I'm going to go down there, sit by the fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he entered you know, He entered you know, into that courtyard with, okay, I'm going to be close to Jesus. Yeah. So he was actually trying to pursue Jesus at that time. Yeah, that's good. With, with Judas, he had already covenanted with, he'd already agreed with the priests whenever they were in the upper room. He'd already made the deal, and he still had the decision he could have backed out. But... Then he went and he got the the crew to meet them in the in the uh, garden, and so yeah. By then it was it was premeditated. It was it wasn't the heat of the moment. So I guess it's it's a difference between first degree and second degree, right? Yeah. Uh, and then what they do with murder and stuff, it's like if it's premeditated first degree, if it's uh, heat of the moment, it'll be second degree or manslaughter. And so with uh, with Judas, though, 
how early on was it premeditated? And that gets back to what I was asking earlier about the tipping point. And I do think it's still a process. And it got him to the place that he was meeting with them where he was plotting and everything. And But I don't know that we can necessarily point out and say, okay, it was whenever Jesus said this, whenever Jesus did this, it was at this sermon, it was at this occasion. And, of course, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details. We don't know that much about Judas except for that he was chosen Jesus that he was the only Judean of all, or not, yeah, the only Judean out of all of them. The rest of them were Galilean, and that he was the one that betrayed Jesus. Right? It's about all we know. We don't know about his family. We don't know about any kind of struggles or hardships he had with being a disciple. We do know that he was the one that kept the bag, and he was uh, stealing from the bag as it went along. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's that's let out. And so he was looking earlier on for a way to profit, but I think all of them were from the beginning, weren't they? And so it was that maybe the other 11 bought into what Jesus was teaching, and their hearts began to bend toward him. They began to realign their priorities, and I don't know that Judas ever did. Now, we know that Judas wasn't saved, right? Right. Because it says that he went to his own place. Mm-hmm. It talks about him going into, uh, about the devil entering into him, about him uh, being, uh, he says, I've chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil. Mm-hmm. He, he wasn't a safe man. And we've been talking about on Wednesday night, we've been looking at salvation BC or Jesus BC. We've been looking at how salvation occurred before Jesus' death before you know what we see today, and we see that it's always been by grace through faith. But it's got to be faith in who God has revealed Himself to be, right? right. And so, what was G- or what was Judas believing in? What was Judas trusting in? He wasn't trusting in the Son of God that came to save souls. He wasn't trusting in the one that came to give His life as a ransom for many. He was trusting in the king of kings, the one that would rule and reign. He wasn't trusting in who Jesus was saying he was. He was trusting in who he wanted Jesus to be. And that is a dangerous difference because today, how many people are following a Jesus of their own creation? How many people say, I believe in Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It is the Jesus that they have concocted in their own imagination or that their religious teachings has came up with, and it is a different Jesus. And so even though Judas was following Jesus and seeing all these things, he wasn't believing on the Jesus that was before him. He was believing in the Jesus that he wanted. And we see that that wasn't enough to save him, was it? And so this is all coming together and showing us uh, that there are a lot of dangers whenever we're following Jesus without actually paying attention to who he is. Right? I know we have the Bible and we've read it and we know a lot about it, mm-hmm. but I can't imagine actually spending this much that much time with Jesus and seeing all that he did and still not believe in him. Mm-hmm. I just, I can't even comprehend that. 
I think he had expectations yeah. that, and he wanted Jesus or while they were walking, while he was walking with him, all of a sudden he realized that this guy doesn't have money. Mm -hmm. This guy doesn't have a mansion, a place to sleep. He doesn't have anything. Mm -hmm. So do I really want to follow this dude, basically? Mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. he said, I don't know how much you are. No, I think you're completely right. And it was expectations, and, and I've said before, expectations are a killer in any relationship. I mean, if you have expectations that are unmet between husband and wife, between friends, uh, between pastor and church, between you and Jesus, if you have expectations that are unmet, they are going to destroy a relationship, right? And so we project our expectations on someone else. They don't even know what we're expecting, and then we're mad whenever they're not doing what we think they should be doing, right? And so that is a major thing with Jesus. And so you look at um, all of the different uh, ideologies, the religions, the theologies and things that are out there, and what is their thoughts on Jesus? Who do they say that he is? That's one thing that he came to his disciples, and he says, who do men say that I am? And they said, oh, men's got all kinds of ideas about who you are. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay. And he says, okay, Peter, you've got the right one. But if he had asked Judas, who do you say that I am? Well, I hope that you're the one that's going to make me wealthy and powerful. Yeah. Right? Well, so they were very Romanized at that time, weren't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the Rome was looking for the Messiah that was well, the Jews are looking for right. around, I mean. Yeah, to, to liberate them, right? Yeah. And so you're not fixing my problems. You're not uh, increasing my bank account. You're not uh, you know, fixing all these different things that I want you to fix. So I'm not going to follow you anymore. I find other ways that I can get what I'm wanting outside of you. And so that he abandoned God look to this world to fulfill his needs and his desires. And so the next thing that I want to look at is what did he lose? What did Judas lose? He was looking to gain something, right? Obviously, he lost his life. Lost his soul. Fellowship with God. What about the opportunities that lay to his feet? Have you ever thought that if Judas would have still been there, what would he have been in the book of Acts? What would he have been in the New Testament? Now, I'll get on to our next question just before I run ahead of myself just a little bit. But if Paul was Judas's replacement by God, was Judas, would he have had Paul's ministry? You think Judas would have been Apostle Paul? There's a big question mark. There's that what if, right? If Judas had not done what he had done, if he had not rejected Christ, if he had not hung on to his own expectations and followed after the Christ of his own imagination, if he would have accepted Jesus for who he was, if he would have accepted Jesus for who he revealed himself to be, he would have been there on the day of Pentecost. 
He would have been preaching the gospel there. He would have been seeing thousands being saved on the day of Pentecost. He would have been in that upper room whenever the Holy Spirit came through. Right? He would have been one of them that was going out and turning the world upside down with the gospel. He would be remembered throughout history as one of the faithful twelve instead of Judas who no one wants to be called. Right? No one's lining up to name their kids Judas today, are they? We've got lots of Peters, Pauls, Johns, Marks, not so many Bartholomews or Thaddeuses. We've even got several Thomases, right? You name your kid Thomas, right? You may have had doubts at times, but you know. Yeah, I feel sorry for that guy. Now you had the second Judas that was there. It was a popular name. And every time he's listed from then on, they have to make sure and point out Judas, not Iscariot. And so that's like what you're named after the rest of your life is, okay, you're known by what you're not. Yeah, the disciple Judas. Oh, no, not that one. My uncle is Judas, and once the friend used to call him, hey, Judas, and not, not this character. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember that thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think, Kevin? No, I was just saying that the other one was, was a, one of his disciples as well. Yeah, and he was faithful. And, and yet, you don't hear much of him. No. no, really, you don't hear much out of any of the disciples besides Peter, James, and John. And the others went on to do great things. Uh, we can trace through secular history, find out where they went, what happened, uh, some some tradition on it. But all of them went on to uh, minister and to preach and really even to be, uh, to be martyred. John was the only one who uh, died a natural death, and that was after being left on an island and boiled with oil and all kinds of other stuff. And so they went on to do great things for God, even though we might not have a lot of details. Uh, something else that is interesting to me is Jesus says that his, uh, his disciples, his apostles, were going to be the foundation of the church that was going to be built upon them. It talks about the, uh, the walls in heaven being all these different jewels with the names of the apostles on them, right? Talks about them ruling and reigning with him and having 12 thrones from which they're going to rule. And Judas would have had a part of all of that. And he gave up all that God had planned for him, all that God had in store for him. You can say, oh, God knew all along what was going to happen. Yes, he did. But did he make Judas do what he was doing? God didn't preordain that. He knew what choices Judas would make before he made them, yes. But Judas made them all of his own accord. Would God have blessed? Would God have used? Would God have had a place and a ministry and a path for him to follow had he rejected this? Yes, he would have. And to be honest with you, we're never going to know. And neither is he. So he goes into eternity with tons and tons of regrets. He thought that he would escape them by going out and hanging himself. And in reality, it was just the beginning. And so he could have looked upon the face of the risen Christ. He could have begged. He wouldn't have had to beg, but he could have begged and said, no, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize what I was doing. Please forgive me. And Jesus would have forgiven him and restored him, right? Just like he did Peter. 
they threw it all away. And so we look at Judas and all the things that was going on there. And then that brings us to the passage which we read. Jesus has told the disciples to wait for him at Jerusalem. And while they are there in that upper room, their eyes keep going to the empty seat. Their minds keep going back to Judas and what Judas did. And apparently Peter's mind is going back into Old Testament passages. And he is thinking on these things that was prophesied back at that time and that God foreknew what was going to happen, that there was going to be one that would betray the Messiah and that he was going to die in shame and that he was going to be replaced. Let his bishopric another take, his office another take. And so as they were all together in one mind and one accord praying, Peter being Peter, of course, Jesus already told him you're going to be a leader, right? But Peter being Peter, he stands up and he says, this prophecy must needs be fulfilled. And so he initiates this process of choosing a replacement for Judas. So next question. Was he right or wrong? Peter. Okay, so so you you equate it with whenever Abraham went to Hagar. We've got he says I've got to make God's word happen. Yeah. So he goes to Hagar and goes about the wrong way rather than waiting on God to make it happen. Okay. Well, that's, that's, Good point. It's always wrong. Okay, you say wrong initiating because. I think he will have wait. I don't know how things of God happen in that time because they didn't have like a certain manual book as we have. So it, in another way, we think it's difficult for them. At least for us, we have something. If I'm too much confused, I can still go in and say, okay, what did they did so that I can change on? But for them was like, and as you said, there was prophecies that need to happen. So in other way around, they have to happen. So maybe not being wrong for fulfilling that prophecy, mm-hmm. but again, being wrong for kind of taking God is, is, is bad. Okay. Yeah. I do agree with Peter too, because look at all the prophecies that the Lord fulfilled in his own time and his own way. And what well, did Peter need to be one of them? That that was one of that was one of my thoughts in it is okay whenever he says uh, verse sixteen men and brethren this scripture must needs have been fulfilled okay there is no other place in scripture where it was left to mankind to make God make his prophecies come true right yeah even a lot of the times when prophecies came true they didn't even realize they were fulfilling prophecy until right. afterwards exactly. right. Any other thoughts on it? Yeah. You're looking, you're thinking on something. What, what, what is it? Well, I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> Let us have it. You know, when Jesus said, upon you I'll build my church, blah, 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 mm-hmm. but he, 
didn't mean Peter, he meant the truth. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, Peter had spoken. Maybe Peter was like, hey, man, it's my responsibility or something, you know? Mm -hmm. And let's, let's get it in there before the Holy Spirit comes. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying he's jumping the gun a bit, so that's yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah. Maybe, um, I mean, it says in verse 8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost come upon you. You shall be witnesses. <coughs> He couldn't even wait for the Holy Spirit to even arrive. It was basically 10 days that they had to wait, and he didn't wait 10 days. Alright. Yeah. But, that's just, I think, but saying that, though, God's will was always going to be done with a mm -hmm. man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, if he prophesied, it's going to happen. You're not going to stop the Holy Spirit. Alright. You know? <clears throat> uh, but just by being human, okay? Just by being man. Uh, I know myself how often I take it upon myself. I take the responsibility on myself to make things happen whenever it is God and it is the Holy Spirit that has to make it happen, right? right. And so I assume Peter was made of the same stuff as what I am. And so he's going to have the same inclinations, only he was like type A personality. He was the one that had to be hands-on, front and center, and making things, right? The and only, so... Sorry, I was going to Go ahead. The only thing is verse 14, that's the only one that I would sort of say, hang on, the boys prayed about it, mm -hmm. you know, they did make supplication and, and everything, mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. you're like, okay, so either this guy was, either they, they, they prayer was not answered properly yet, or it was, you know, mm -hmm. I Okay, so going along with what you're saying there, uh, when it, we can pray about something, right? Yeah. And then still try to do it ourselves, right? And and so what we what we do a lot of times is, okay, God, I'm going to do this now. You bless it, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. But are we saying then that uh, Matthias was chosen then to replace Judah, and he was a fake? You know I, mean? I wouldn't say that he is a fake, but was that God's will for that time? Was Matthias the one that was supposed to be Judas's replacement according to Scripture, or as a lot of people think, Paul was? Right? Well, I, I think it was Matthias because if if the one okay, I, 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 I will go back where I said. Peter was wrong, in human form, yes, he was wrong. There was no way that he's going to fulfill the, the prophecy by him choosing. With all human beings, we have said already, mm -hmm. we, we always take that responsibility. Yeah. We pray, but we still want to, to do something. But another way to say, like, uh, they were, uh, Matthias were, was not chosen to be there. I don't know if, if you could have even made it in, in, in in scriptures, because if Paul have to be chosen, if they have to wait, mm -hmm. and then we, it could have just been written, blame, okay? And, and let us look at the time when did Paul appear and mm -hmm. when did Matthias was mm -hmm. chosen. So I think there's a gap there. Mm -hmm. So to my to my my perception, I would say. Matthias was the chosen one, and 
Paul have to play another role because there's, there's a gap of time. And so you're saying Peter did the right thing, not necessarily the the right way? <laughs> Maybe. He did the right things, yes, but... It... God's will got done by in spite of Peter instead of because of him? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think so. So in spiritual way, yes, but in human forms, like, no, we'll not do it. There's, there's that. Yeah. Where did the parameters come from? What I mean is like the like you look at twin verse twenty one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wherefore these men which have accompanied us all the time that the Lord went in and out among us. Yeah, so they've been there from the, the baptism. From the baptism. Of, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then he carries on and um and they have to be witnesses of his resurrection. Mm-hmm. Where, where did that was it was that foretold somewhere else in the Old Testament that that when an apostle comes that is what he has to do these parameters you know what I mean there's nowhere in scripture that it says the parameters it seems to me like that came from their their best guess if you will Peter's looking at it and saying okay if we are to replace Judas was someone. Well, Judas was there from the beginning. He saw this happen. He went through all of this all the way up to, of course, he didn't see Jesus' death and resurrection because he was dead. Right? right? Yeah. And so they were like, okay, I think these are the things that are important. And everyone's like, yeah, that sounds really good. Okay, well, we're on with that. Right? Can you imagine that happening? And, and so they kind of, that's Iron what I'm trying to say. Yeah, they said we, did we, they just make that up as they went, or that it wasn't actually pulled from the Old Testament? Yeah. It wasn't pulled from the Old Testament. Uh, it was made up as it went, but the question comes in at that time, was the Holy Spirit leading them? Was God behind it, or was it just their own doing? No, the Holy Spirit only arrives in the next chapter. Right. Okay, he empowers them in the next chapter, but if you go back into the Gospels... Yeah, yeah. Jesus breathes on them and says, receive you the Holy Spirit. Now, Thomas wasn't there whenever it happened. But the rest of them were, right? But he did tell them to go and wait for me. Mm-hmm. And then it will come upon you. So, uh, I'll play devil's advocate here in a minute. Because I'm wanting to wanting to stretch your minds a little bit. I want you to think on these things, okay? I Okay, I'll say ahead of time. I don't think we can be dogmatic in an answer. No, I don't think I'm, I'm, not, okay. I'm not saying the, that yeah. the Holy Spirit yeah. only arrived. Right. Right. I'm, 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 I'm in agreement right. with you yeah. Yeah. in the um, upper room. Right. Okay. I'm just saying, like, mm-hmm. it seems like there's a filling of the Holy Spirit yes. over in, in Acts. Well, and then that comes into what the, the meaning of the filling of the Holy Spirit is, and that is whenever the Holy Spirit's in control. And so whenever it says, be filled with the Spirit, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but you be, or be filled with the Spirit. And he's saying in the same way that alcohol takes control of you and changes who you are, that you need to have, let the Holy Spirit be in control of you and to affect you. And so that's what being filled with the Spirit is, is whenever you allow Him to be in control. Okay? Every born-again believer, every saved individual has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. They are the temple of God, okay? You can either grieve them or not. Yeah, but you're not necessarily filled. He doesn't have control. He's not in the driver's seat. Okay. 
Okay, so that's the difference between uh, having the Holy Spirit and actually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, I think that's what you were meaning. That in, mm-hmm. in that action, the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit wasn't in control of that particular mm-hmm. action and was being controlling that. Okay, so so back to what I was saying there a minute ago. I don't think we can be dogmatic in saying Peter was right or Peter was wrong. Right. That Matthias was the right replacement, where that uh, Paul was God's replacement. I don't think we can say that definitively. We can't be dogmatic about that. Okay, and I'll go back and and say a little bit why as the devil's advocate here. Uh, I've always held to the position that Matthias wasn't the right one, that Peter was wrong, okay? Full disclosure. Because simply this, Jesus says, wait. This is not waiting. This is a pretty big decision, a pretty big action for them to have this meeting and say, okay, we're going to decide who's going to replace Judas. We're going to take it upon ourselves to make... uh, a fulfillment of scripture where they never had to consciously fulfill prophecy before. Now they're consciously fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then even with the casting of lots, they would have been like, okay, uh, Judas was a flop. We don't want to repeat that. We don't know the hearts of men and what's in them. So we're going to cast lots and allow God to guide the lots. It's almost like drawing straws. What they would have done is they would have put both men's names in like some kind of a container, shook them around, and the first one that fell out, hey, that was God's choice. Okay, I'm glad we're not doing things like that today. Okay. <laughs> but it was a, a, an accepted method in the Old Testament. They did that. Okay, But here's the thing. Uh, whenever they would cast lots like that, they put two names in the jar. And so the only choice was, okay, God, we picked this to tell us which one is your choice, A or B. And God could have said, C, neither of them. But that wasn't an option that they put on the table, right? And so how often in our plans are we saying, okay, God, do I do this or do I do that? And he says, don't do either. Wait on me. That's very well possible, right? And so with that, they weren't really giving God the opportunity to... Uh, veto their decision. He, they were just looking for him to either approve one or the other, right? But in studying this out and looking through it, I have found that the majority of the commentary, commentaries and commentators that I've read on this actually side with Peter. And that surprised me. And so I was at odds with those guys. And uh, it's not the first time. And I'm not saying that they have some kind of a lock on it, but it does make me look into it a little bit more because they did have the Holy Spirit, right? They were in one accord. They were in prayer. They were seeking God's will. Peter seemed to have a pretty good grasp on scriptures. It seemed seemed as, see, Peter was a fisherman, right? Peter definitely didn't seem to be very biblically minded. He didn't seem to have his stuff together. But now all of a sudden, it seems like he's thinking pretty solidly as if God, through his Holy Spirit, is opening up his understanding of the scriptures, right? That he's pulling these things out and he's making these connections as if the Holy Spirit could be leading him in this, right? They also are bringing out the fact that the apostles' main job was to be a witness to the Jews there in Jerusalem and throughout that region, and the the, the, the apostles mainly witnessed there. And so on the day of Pentecost, it may have been necessary for there to be 12 of them, 
And then as the apostles are dying off and being martyred, there is never another replacement that happens, right? And so it was as if they fulfilled their position whenever the Jews rejected the gospel. And so there wasn't any seeking of further replacing apostles, right? Mm -hmm. Apostolic succession. And so they point out several of these different things, saying that it's very possible that it was right. And so that's where I come to, that I can't be dogmatic about either one, but I think it's good things to think about and to evaluate because it comes down to how do we make our decisions? Do we go and try to do what we think is best and hope and pray that God approves it? Do we grow impatient? I don't think any good decision is ever made out of impatience. Mm -hmm. And this is something I've often counseled people. If you feel rushed, if you feel as if you have to do it now, you're probably best to step back. Because some of the worst decisions you're going to make in your life are the ones that you felt pressured to do. The ones that you had to do now that could not wait. God doesn't do limited time offers. Right. Right? Exactly. And so Peter's sitting here saying, we must do this, we must do it now, and all these different things, right? And so I still do lean toward uh, that Paul was the replacement for Judas, that God had ordained that one. Uh, just just a, a, another little idea on that. What does the term apostle mean? Anyone know? No, that's disciple. Disciple is a student, a follower. Not quite. No, the chosen one. An apostle is a sent one. A sent one. Okay. Someone who is sent out on behalf of someone else, right? And so an apostle is a sent one. And so who chose and sent out Matthias? Who chose and sent out Paul? Right? And so he bore the name of Apostle. Uh, Anna asked there a while ago if there was 12 or 13 Apostles. Well, we can at least count 14, actually. <laughs> Just to turn that on its head. Because Barnabas is at least one time referred to as an Apostle. Right? Because he was called to the Holy Spirit and sent out. Okay? But what we're coming back to is that it was the Lord who called and sent them, right? And so whenever we are in a position that we are trying to do what we think is right for God, but we're not necessarily in the place to make that decision when we feel rushed and feel like we must do something, uh, I think it's best to wait. Uh, but in this situation, because we can't say dogmatically one way or the other, would it have been best for them to wait? Yes, I believe 100% it would have been best for them to wait. Did God use it in spite of that? Yes, yes He did. Mm -hmm. So guess what? We can, we can infer from that. Even whenever we run ahead of God, even whenever we do stupid things, God can still use that. Right. God can still use the things that we do in haste. He can still use our mistakes and our failures and are, are floundering like that, and he can use that for his good, for his, uh, put it into his plan. We know that all things work together for good, right? Yeah. 
And so it could very well be that that's what happened here, right? But anyway, about it, uh, God used these very uh, inexperienced, these very new, very wet behind the ears apostles to do huge things, to turn the world upside down with the gospel. They made mistakes. They felt pressure. They tried to figure it out. And that's what we're going to be looking at as we go through the book of Acts is that oftentimes what they are doing is they're just trying to follow God to the best of their ability. Sometimes what we find them doing, it's like they throw it against the wall and just hope it sticks. You ever been there? And so that's kind of what they are doing. And so what we're going to see in all of this is that they didn't have it all figured out. They weren't Mr. Super Spiritual. They didn't uh, just go along and every decision was perfect and was uh, in the will of God. That Sometimes they messed up. Sometimes they did stupid stuff. Sometimes they did huge successes, right? We're going to find out as we get into chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down. Peter goes out and he tries to just give them an explanation. They're giving... Uh, they're coming with accusations and says, what in the world's going on? Are you all drunk? What, what's happening? And Peter stands up. They, they listen to him. And he just tries to give an explanation. That's what Peter thinks he's doing. He's just trying to give a defense for the apostles and what's going on. And the Lord uses Peter as a mouthpiece to preach a sermon in which 3,000 people get saved. Do you think Peter was intending to do that whenever he stood up there? Uh, that wasn't his intention. He wasn't like, oh, okay, guys, watch this. I got the Holy Spirit now. I know how to preach. I know what I'm doing. Watch this. You're going to be blown away. You're never going to believe it. He stood up there. Uh, guys, um, he didn't know what he was doing, but God worked through him. Right. And so my final thought on this, and I need to close is we come down to Matthias and Justice, right? Or Barsabas, whatever you want to call him. There's three names given. And out of all of them, all the 120 that were there, these men were the ones who it was narrowed down to. And apparently there was several of them that were qualified in addition to these. Mm-hmm. There were several of them that had followed Jesus from the very beginning, that was there when he was baptized, that took part in his ministry, that heard him <clears throat> preach, that saw him resurrected and were faithful from the beginning. There were many people who were qualified, right? And even though Matthias was chosen and Justice wasn't, even though there were several others that could have been chosen and wasn't, doesn't make them any less of a disciple, of a Christian, than Matthias or Peter or Paul or any of the rest of them. We look at these guys and we say, these guys were faithful. Their names may not be mentioned beyond Matthias and Justice, but there were a lot of faithful men that went out and they continued living for the Lord and continued being a witness for him and continued the ministry and caused the gospel to spread from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so whenever it all comes down to it, it doesn't matter who was chosen, who wasn't, who had a title, who didn't, because it was all about the Lord. It wasn't about them. Do you think that Justice went home thinking, 
Oh man, I wasn't chosen. I'm just gonna quit. I wasn't picked. There must be something wrong with me. No. And so for each and every one of us, it doesn't matter uh, where we find ourselves at, what our flaws and idiosyncrasies and all these different things are. If you are a child of God, he's got a place for each and every one of us. It may not be on the front. It may not with, be with your uh, your name up in lights somewhere. You may not have uh, your name at the, the top of one of the books of the Bible. Right? <laughs> History may not remember you, but the Lord knows every one of us has a place for us, has a purpose for us, and he loves each and every one of us, right? Right. So does anyone have anything else to add into what we've seen here with Judas and Peter and the replacement of Judas? Nothing? Okay. Well, I thank you for all your input and everything, and I enjoyed the discussion. Hopefully made you think a little. And uh, anyway, let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer and we'll take a short break. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and for the things that we can glean from it. Lord, I pray that we can uh, take this passage that's before us, Lord, and to uh, just be instructed by a little bit, encouraged by it, Lord. And, and Lord, whether they were right or wrong, Lord, you still were working in them and through them, and we praise you for that. Lord, so often we don't know what we're doing. So often we're not sure what's right and what's wrong. But Lord, we know that you're still there. You're still in control. And Lord, we pray that you'd use us as you see fit. Lord, I pray now that you'd be with our time and our fellowship with one another. And Lord, I pray for your blessings on the next service. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.